Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. With everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more, Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. that it is a good morning whether I want it or not. Please go away, let me speak for the love of God! Ben, I'm not going to lie, mate. I'm, I'm still in total full moon mode from last week's show. <laughs> that episode hit the spot. <laughs> it was good. It was good. It's, it's good, wholesome fun from Full Moon Entertainment. It would be very easy um, for me to reel off more Full Moon titles for today's show with our with our theme for the week. Um, but I'm sure everybody's uh, had their fill of that, so I won't do it. Um, but robots. Let's talk about robots. Um, if you're a sophisticated consumer of uh, EDM, see, I'm hip, I know the terms, then, uh, then you might recognise the music playing right now as Robots by those weirdos from Dusseldorf Kraftwerk. <laughs> Only this, this, isn't, this isn't Kraftwerk, it's a cover because there's too many legalities around the, the, <laughs> the copyright <laughs> licensing for the actual music. Yeah, considering, considering the reputation that bands like Kraftwerk have, like it's the same as Metallica, they are incredibly uh, sensitive to copyright infringement. Like they'll steal everything out. They're all for stealing and burning things down and getting into fights. But hey, intellectual property is no hey, joke. Because matter. they know how easy their music is to copy. <laughs> <laughs> ben, I want to um, start with an inappropriate question for you. Would you rather? So to kick us off, would you rather Rosie the Robot or Cherry 2000? Oh, Cherry 2000. Like as if you had to own one of these, it would be Cherry 2000. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's have. Oh well, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure you could teach uh, Cherry to do the housework. <laughs> I don't know if you could teach Rosie to become a sex bot. And that's why I said inappropriate. A perfect life companion. What are what are these even from? <laughs> <laughs> for for all the listeners out there who have no idea what you're talking about, explain. Rosie the robot is the <laughs> the maid from the Jetsons. She does all the housework. Oh, Cherry 2000, okay. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. played by Melanie Griffith, is a sex bot. No, 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 no. I mean, yes, she's a sex bot, and yes, it's from Cherry 2000, but it's Pamela yes. Gidley is uh, is the sex bot, and uh, oh, okay. and uh, Melanie Griffith is the real woman that that tempts uh, David Andrews away from his uh, sex bot. Exactly obsession. right, uh, Ben <laughs> Fact Checker Helwig. There, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> But um, on that note, allow us to introduce ourselves. Thanks for pressing play. This is our humble little podcast. It's Good Movie Monday, presented by FakeShamper.net, which is home of the nerdy cinematic ramblings. My name is Glenn Cochran, and I am the proud owner of a RoboVac, even though it freaks me out. But um, the guy who is here week after week, my co-host and your co-host, Ben Helwig, whose best dance move is definitely the robot. How are you, mate? I am a robot. I look like a robot. I talk like a robot. No, it's it's terrible. (laughs) That was pretty good, actually. It was, uh, 
It was, uh, I, yeah, I think I'm good enough to fool uh, someone on a dodgy phone line, <laughs> like a, uh, like a, you know, like a, a international scam, scam caller. <laughs> I could pretend to be an answering machine. Like, the, the number you have dialed is not connected. And no, that uh, that's not Ben throwing his voice. The other voice you do hear is actually that of Samantha Housen, who has become something of a regular uh, fixture on the show, and um, she's from the website happyandtragic.com, our very own Alita Battle Angel, Samantha Housen. How are you, Sam? <laughs> oh, wow. That's a compliment. Yeah, uh-huh. I could have gone with the Cherry 2000 kind of thing, but I thought, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <not too> <laughs> Well, I'm glad that you went with Alita. Having instead. said that, you do not escape <laughs> the inappropriate would-you-rathers. I've got one for you as well. Would you rather mm-hmm. own Paulie's Butler Robot from Rocky Four or Gigolo Joe from AI? A, that's Jude Law, right? Gigolo Joe. Yeah. What do you know? It'd have to be AI. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't really remember. <laughs> I don't remember the other. I don't one. remember the robot from Rocky. No. <laughs> Although you think it would be something I would remember. I'm pretty sure it's the stuff that he's putting back into the director's cut. Yeah. Right. Oh. See, you know, your answer for Gigolo Joe makes you freaky. If you had have answered the uh, the Rocky Four, would have made you really freaky. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, Alita it is. The good thing about uh, Gigolo Joe, too, is that uh, the hair loss halted. <laughs> like, Jude Law would keep that, like, his young man's hair forever. <laughs> he wouldn't end up looking like me. I'm... Which I'm shocked that he doesn't. Like, he must have, like, they must have cured male pattern baldness, but they've only <laughs> given it to people like Jude Law. Hey, Tom Cruise is starting to look like you. Did you see the photos last week? <laughs> I did see the photos. Yeah, but oh, they, no. people were putting up. Was he in? A, was he playing Norm Norm Macdonald in a, <laughs> a Norm biopic? Pretty sure some expert came in and said he's had fillers and his face is still swollen. Yeah, right. I mean, there's no way because he's in his sixties, isn't he, Tom? Yes. There's no way he can, like, even like George Clooney is prime example, but um, Tom Cruise is another one where they look like they're twenty five up until they're like. 45 50 and then from 50 to 51 all of a sudden it all catches up with them yeah cruise suspiciously it hasn't really happened to yet and it must be through artificial means speaking of artificial means yes we are talking about robots more specifically this week's show is all about android movies androids being robots with human appearances and we're doing this in alignment with a new release movie called zone 414 which stars none other than melbourne's very own guy pierce i don't know have you heard of him um, apparently he was in Neighbours and Snowy River, the McGregor saga, to name others. <laughs> Many. Yes. Many more. Dating, dating the enemy. <laughs> exactly. Well, that guy, he's, uh, he's our guest on the show, and I'm going to be chatting with him a little bit later to talk about that movie, Zone 414, and a few other things. Uh, super excited about that, and stick around. The other androids are also here, as always, the ever-reliable Jarrett Gunn with the lowdown on this week's movie releases. Guillermo Troncrosso will bring you up to date with the Screed Realm stuff. Chloe Ritchie from Movie Night with the Ritchie Girls podcast will explore an unlikely android movie. And Adam Ross from Triple M will come at you with a recommendation of his own. Plus, we've got the Boneheads from Bonehead Weekly, Joe, Chad and James. And they're going to disgrace themselves by gushing all over Guy Pearce. All of that and more coming up. Super fun show. But before we dive into it, Ben, have you ever seen the movie Heartbeeps? 1981. Heartbeeps. It does really sound familiar. That is the one with Andy Kaufman and Bernadette Peters, directed by Alan Arkush. 
Yes, yes, Mate, yes, yes. This is. I just had to bring it up because this is another one of those movies that's it's probably one of the worst movies ever made, if I'm, if I'm being honest. But it's it's so shit and I desperately want to love it that I just keep going back to it and I, I turn it off at the same point every time. Have you seen uh, Making Mr. Right? Oh, no, that rings a bell, though. Where John Malkovich plays, like, the hunk robot that... Uh, I can't remember the woman who's in it, but she... She basically she makes Frankenstein. It's a Frankenstein movie. John Malkovich and Hunk don't go in the same sentence. But it's John Malkovich with a with a full head of hair, blonde, blonde, yeah, full head of blonde hair, and it's it's notorious mainly because you cannot get the soundtrack. There is no soundtrack really available for for um, desperately seeking Susan. If you want the record, it's like a it comes with half of its one side's the soundtrack for making Mister Right. And the other half is like a song from Desperately Seeking Suit. <laughs> well, my challenge for anybody listening is to try and track down Harpeeps and see if you can endure the entire duration. Um, what a cast, though. Like, Ben, this is a cast up your alley. you got Randy Quaid, Christopher Guest, Dick Miller, Mary Warrenoff, Paul Bartel, and Jerry Garcia. <laughs> it should be the robot movie for all ages. Well, I mean, look, secretly, I've always thought Jerry Garcia was a robot. Uh <laughs> But yeah, look, it sounds like, I mean, that with that cast, it makes does make it sound like a Corman film. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, the, the Alan Arquish connection there, so it probably is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I believe it was a really expensive movie and it was a massive tank and Andy Kaufman went on Letterman or one of those night shows and, and promised a refund to anybody that had paid a ticket to see it. Wow. Uh, did, he, did he deliver? I don't remember that part in Man in the Moon. I think he did. I think he did. But anyway... Um, no robot episode could go without some heartbeats. I was going to say, as a as a robot, he looks like Chevy Chase. He does. I yeah. I actually, when I looked at the the poster, I was like, is that Chevy Chase? Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, Sam, what's news with you? Have you been diving into the world of Android movies since we last spoke? I um. Unfortunately, this week was a bit busier than I had hoped, but I did. I watched. I watched. Rewatched two that I'm talking about today. Excellent. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that there's so many movies with, with an Android in it that yeah. you could choose from, right? Like it doesn't even have to be um, like a major plot point, but there are just so many. I think we have like this weird fascination with all this um, Android. Yeah. And- I mean, I definitely went for movies where um, there were prominent features in the story, but I know mm. Adam's got one coming up and when he, when he proposed it to me, I'm like, well, that's not an Android movie, but one of those characters is an Android. Yeah. Go for it. What the fuck? Yeah. I thought of Alien, like, like you could do any of the Alien films. Uh, you could do like uh, Lost in Space. You could do so many. That, totally. Like, yeah. I love that Lost in Space. What um, what year did that come out? Oh, it was like early don't, 2000s. Don't tell me you like that. I do. I Ooh. do. It came out when I was younger and I, I loved... Um, Hunky Matt LeBlanc. Yeah. <laughs> and and the, the music. Sexy Gary Oldman. At the end. Was there <laughs> Sexy, Gary Oldman. <laughs> Sexy Gary Oldman. Shockingly non-sweaty. <laughs> Very unusual for Gary Oldman in a film. He's always sweaty. In space, no one can see your sweat, mate. Yeah, that's right. that makes a lot of sense. They could, because it's the future, they could have loud air conditioners all throughout the ship. Yeah. <laughs> climate control. Climate oh, control. shit. <laughs> well, anyway, before we move on, um, that's basically our little introduction. But I did want to ask you, Ben, has the, um, has the sex bot arrived in Japan yet? 
No, the sex pillow has, and oh. that's, uh, that would just have to do. Though it's get it's getting a bit hard. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's the crust. The crust has kind of. Oh, no. <laughs> Mate, you should have just done what I did because my um my robo vac doubles as a sex bot. Yeah, yeah, but they're expensive. My 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 Japanese love pillow only cost me forty thousand yen. Yeah, but mine doesn't have crust. Yeah, yeah that is true. But I kind of, you know, after a while, you kind of start to like it. It's like, it's like a volcano has erupted and ashes covered the pillow, and then it's dried and started to crack. So you need the next model up. It's called the Crustbuster. Yeah, <laughs> that or a, like a hammer and a chisel. <laughs> <laughs> oh fucking hell! You know in Game of Thrones, where the guy gets the, uh, what's his it? Mormont gets the has the scales. Gets the has the scaly uh, skin. Just giving everyone a <laughs> yeah, lot no. of visuals but right imagine now. Imagine that, and then imagine me humping it. <laughs> oh my god! Well, before we disgrace ourselves anymore, before Ben disgraces himself anymore, <laughs> let us no um, let's no handball it over to Jarrett, and uh, we'll be back shortly. Um, uh, might have to have a cold shower, and uh, we'll talk about some stuff. Hey, this is Jared, and welcome to PE Class. Massive week for home entertainment this week. I'm going to start with Imprint. They're releasing a box set titled Collaborations, The Cinema of Zhang Yimou and Gong Li. Now, this is an eight-disc Blu-ray box set. It is huge. It consists of eight features that include Raise the Red Lantern, Shanghai Triad, and The Curse of the Golden Flower. All of the films have 2K restorations and an outrageous amount of special features on there. Now, Acorn Media are delivering two new Shutter titles to physical retail, being Sun and Fried Barry. Both are coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. And then Paramount are releasing Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe Origins. This is coming out in all the formats, 4K Ultra HD, Blu-ray and DVD. Now, the 4K does have Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos, and the 4K and Blu-ray have the following special features, four featurettes and deleted scenes. Now, this week, Studio Canal are re-releasing a bunch of Hammer Horror titles. I say re-releasing because they've been out before through Shock. However, they do have new restorations and lossless audio. So, if you love your Hammer, then it's definitely worth double-dipping and updating to these. These titles include Quatermass and the Pit, The Witches, Rasputin, The Mad Monk, The Mummy Shroud, Dracula, Prince of Darkness, Plague of the Zombies, The Reptile, and The Devil Rides Out. Then the last release for this week I will mention is coming out from Universal Pictures and it is Tremors the Seven Film Collection on Blu-ray. Now this is the first time some of these Tremors films will be seeing a Blu-ray release locally here in Australia. So they're all in this one pack and just in time for Christmas so you can sneak it under the tree for Glenn Cochran. Anyway that's it for me for this week. Until next week, stay physical. That actually reminds me, um, he talked about those Hammer Horror releases this week on Blu-ray. I've written an article for Stack Magazine that people might want to check out that takes a look at each and every one of those releases and uh, gives a little backstory about each of the production and, and stuff like that. So a little bit of self-promo there. Um, of course, uh, Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe Origins, uh, Ben, a few weeks ago, we had Andrew Koji on the show. Uh, so it's a good, uh, good opportunity for people to go back and check that out. Goodmoviemonday.com. And speaking of uh, shameless self-promotion, I took a picture of some ducks at a swimming pool this morning. So you may want to check out my Instagram for that. <laughs> what did Mother Duck say? Uh, we're not in speaking terms anymore. <laughs>
knows she knows what she did. <laughs> she shit in the pool. <laughs> it's like Howard the duck meets Caddyshack. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not beat around the bush here. We have Android movies to recommend. And Ben, um, I think we're going to follow your lead here, mate. Would you like to go first? Okay. Yeah, sure. I, uh, I I'm pro- positive I haven't talked about it on the show properly before, but uh, I think I do reference it quite a bit. Mm. This is a film from 1995, directed by the great Fred Olin Ray. Uh, a dramatic pause for the applause <laughs> of the listeners. Who uh, all uh, know who Fred Olin Ray is and, and love his his work. Uh, he's very similar to Jim Wynorski, a lot more prolific than Jim Wynorski, but a uh, little classier. Yeah, a little classier. <laughs> um, this movie is called well, it's got it's got a whole bunch of titles. Uh, Cyberzone is is the name I uh, came to know the film under, but it's also uh, it was also called Droid Gunner, and. <laughs> Phoenix 2. I've yet, I've watched the film multiple times. I still don't really understand where the name Phoenix 2 comes from. I'm sure like now someone's going to write in and go, oh, you idiot, it's the name of the ship or something like that. Something well, probably, <laughs> for the life of me, I've watched it a couple of times and I've gone. The question is, have you seen Phoenix 1? Yeah, no, <laughs> no, I've never, I haven't seen Phoenix 1. So, uh, but it's, this, this movie has a great cast uh, and it, and a great and even better plot. So basically, it's, it revolves around the theft, the sm- and the, the theft and subsequent smuggling of uh, four sex bots. <laughs> it's set, it's set in a in a in a, a futuristic Earth where all of the rich people live in. I think they're kind of underwater, like utopian cities, and the scum of the Earth, like us like not uber rich, uh, live on the filthy streets uh, <laughs> where people eat rats and mutant rats and cockroaches. And, uh, you know, it's a, a, um, a uh, po- like almost like a post-apocalyptic kind of society. Uh, and uh, in one of the, one of the uh, territories, New Vegas, I, think, I believe it is, New Vegas, is a very moral, upright kind of perfect city where there's no no vice no uh no sex no uh gambling no seemingly nothing it's just a place for for perfect people to uh to live and they've also outlawed funnily enough androids and uh including sex bots <laughs> and uh, i knew sex bots would come into this other than what i introduced it. us with <laughs> at some point matthias hughes the great matthias hughes uh, steals these four sex bots along the way he loses one on the surface and smuggles these three sex bots into New Vegas and uh, the guy who uh, the, the sex bots are stolen from who I can't remember who it is who the actor is hires Mark Singer that's right the Beastmaster himself to uh, track them down and he is a droid gunner a uh, <laughs> who is like it's like that. It's like he's a droid in Star Wars when they come into the cantina. Like we don't serve your kind here. And he's just like a guy. Like, what is this? Like the, and the, it's not like the the bar isn't full of like. I think Brink Stevens is play. It plays a uh, a cat mutant woman stripper, and stuff. So like, why they've discriminated against uh, 
the Mark Singer is unknown. And of course, he just produces like a 50 cent piece and goes, well, I just want to buy a drink. And they're like, oh, all is forgiven. <laughs> Discrimination was horseshit. We'll just take your money. Uh, but so he hires Mark, Mark Singer and sends his lovely assistant, played by Rochelle Swanson, to uh, retrieve the sex dolls. And then, they, of course, they find out that they they find out uh, uh, Matthias Hughes has taken them and uh, smuggled them into New Vegas. So they infiltrate New Vegas and they get uh, Rochelle Swanson to pretend to be the missing sex spot to get in and, uh, you know, God, all this stuff. You wouldn't want to be that that person. Like, imagine pretending to be a sex spot and then, like, surely they've got clients coming in at you. <laughs> well, yeah, just, and that's, just sit there and pretend. Just pretend. He does, <laughs> he does a terrible job pretending to be a sex spot because the sex spots literally, like, they're, it's it's very similar to I now can't remember the name of the, that TV series on Netflix, but the um, the sex bots will attach themselves to anyone, and once they attach themselves, they will do anything. Uh, Is that Black Mirror? No, it, no, no, no. It's the one where you um you've got the stack in the back of your neck, and uh, so you you can kind of live forever as long as a little computer chip in the back of your neck. I you vaguely, I vaguely know. Bodies. Um. And the, he goes to a hotel and the hotel computer, the, the hotel AI uh, has been discontinued in r- proper hotels because they will go to extreme lengths for customer satisfaction. <laughs> and that's what these sex bots will do as well. Like they're actually quite dangerous because they, they demand to give you pleasure. <laughs> Sounds like my RoboVac. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they take no for an answer. And poor, poor Matthias Hughes, he tries to resist. He tries, <laughs> he tries, but he's overpowered. Like Matthias Hughes is a huge man, and like what I really love about this film is that it is a real great showcase for Matthias Hughes because usually in films he just gets to play the kind. Of, he's usually the muscly bad guy. He doesn't really get to do much, mm. and in this he like he's got a lot of dialogue, and he's like he's funny, and he's personable, and he's he's like he's just really good. Like, and Mark Singer, he plays off Mark Singer really well. Like, they, they, you know, it's a good partnership. And it is a real shame that uh, they didn't get to do uh, more movies together like this. Like, they could have done a couple of sequels, except something happens to Matthias Hughes in the film. I don't want to give it away. <laughs> I think well, I have given oh. it away, but it does kind of kibosh the sequel. Like. It sounds like an awesome movie, and I haven't seen it, and I definitely want to. We, it, the DVD was released locally by Payless. Oh, okay. Uh, oh. Back in the uh, in the early what 2000, 2011, 2012? That's not, that's not surprising. The quality there speaks for itself. Uh, yeah, they, I mean, they released a lot of fantastic films on that label uh, <laughs> under that <laughs> that Paris label. But uh, Droid Gunner was one of them, and uh, definitely worthwhile picking up. It's a sh- it, It's like all good Fred Olin Ray films. It demands a Blu-ray. <laughs> um, hasn't happened yet. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, Samantha, <laughs> would you like to um, follow that? Yes. Good answer. No sex butts, but oh, bad answer. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> bad robot. <laughs> um, I I chose for my first one. Um, is Star Trek Nemesis? Oh yeah. Um, excellent. Which it's. I chose this one um, because it had like a huge element in the story, like you were saying before, uh, with data or data, 
Mm-hmm. And booty traps. Basically, sorry. <laughs> Nothing. I said booby traps. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you said that. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> um. Yeah. So anyway. Um. Yeah. So it has like all the same crew, obviously, from the Star Trek series. There was this one is Star Trek Ten. So and this is the next tenth, generation. Um, next generation. Cast. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, because they, they kind of, like, numbered all of the Star Trek movies together. But I think there was, like, four Next Generation films. Yeah, I but think. it's still part of the same timeline because there's that yeah. Generations movie that cross over the casts. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, with um, Shatner. Yep. Yeah, so, um, yeah, basically the this one features the Romulans and um, – but I don't know how much I want to give away of the story, but uh, – Basically, the main protagonist, no, antagonist, is a clone of Picard. Uh, so uh, it's basically him fighting himself. With a Japanese love pillow? Is there a <laughs> Japanese love pillow involved <laughs> when he's tussling, tussling with himself? No, actually, there isn't any scenes where he's actually like, oh, a little bit maybe. But there, is like, a, there is a baby-faced uh, Tom Hardy in there. Yes, yeah. Tom Hardy um, is really good in it, actually. I mean, I liked a lot of Tom Hardy's earlier stuff when he was still doing like English, when he was still in England, mostly. Like, I don't want to get too Star Trek nerdy here, <laughs> but I do find it ironic that, because I think Tom Hardy is the clone, right? Yes. And he's completely bald. Yeah. <laughs> They, they like they make are making out that Picard was bald from birth. From the, the like, yeah, the whole time. <laughs> he, had, he had hair. There's there's other flashbacks in Star Trek of him as a young man, and he's got a full head of hair. <laughs> I think actually the photo, the photo that that he that Picard looks at, like when he's like reminiscing about when he was younger. I'm pretty sure that he didn't have hair in that photo and I'm pretty sure they did that because they wanted to keep this kind of like this guy is because because yeah. you can tell um Tom Hardy's wearing like a nose prosthetic nose uh-huh. and everything yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so. it's so weird but then it was weird I remember when when Next Generation started and it was weird that they had this like a bald captain yeah <laughs> Like he's just like some dude. <laughs> like, why isn't Jonathan Frakes the captain? He's got a full head of hair, much more suited to command because of it. <laughs> but Picard's like, you know, he's he's got like, well, he's actually he's probably the oldest. He's the oldest captain out of all of the captains. Well, Star, Star Trek captains are supposed to get fatter when they get older, so Frakes definitely should have been the captain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Patrick Stewart's still a lithe, a lithe and limber uh, gentleman, whereas uh, yeah, Patrick, Patrick, uh, John, uh, Jonathan Frakes looks like me now. <laughs> but he still has a full head of hair. So once again, much more suitable for command. Does than, he retain uh, water like Captain Kirk does now? <laughs> <laughs> He's not going up into space. Jonathan Frakes isn't going up into space, though. That's true. Did you yeah. see him up in space? Did you see the footage of um, William Shatner in space? Mm. Yeah, no, he was. Know. He got really emotional. I he would did, get emotional too. But his speech pattern was Captain Kirk, because he's looking yeah. out the window saying stuff like, "My God, 
it's marvelous. <laughs> yeah, but I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that he he was the one that put that like you know what I mean? Like he basically played himself when he was Kirk. <laughs> no, he did, but like it's just it doesn't change the fact that it's amusing. No, yeah. <laughs> maybe it was in his contract. He didn't have to pay for that. So maybe they said you have to talk like Kirk when you're yeah. up there. That or is having a stroke and no one no one knew. <laughs> oh, no. And, and the fact <laughs> the fact that the spaceship looked like a giant cock flying up into the air. I wish they would change that. It's just so <laughs> it's just too much. It's too much. <laughs> Well, if you're going to enter orbit, you may as well look like a yeah. dick. You have to penetrate it. That's the <laughs> only way to do it. <laughs> All right. So, awesome. Anything else you want to add about that one, Sam? Um, I think it's really good. I, I was going to say that it had a lot of a lot of the Star Trek movies aren't uh, looked upon very fondly, as far as I'm aware. Uh, but I quite enjoyed this one. It, it lagged a bit at the end. It feels like a big episode in movie length so some parts you would just like just you know hurry it up a little bit but um yeah no i i really enjoyed it i recommend it awesome well very good stuff um thank you and we've got some more stuff to come including my chat with guy pierce around the corner followed by our next two recommendations but here's guillermo to recap what's been happening in the uh the world of movies at screen realm over the past week What's happening everybody, it's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favourite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. Here as always to tell you a little bit of the movie news that we've covered on the website in the past week. Kicking off with Sony picking up a buzzed about Jennifer Lawrence package called No Hard Feelings. Now this is a coming of age dramedy that many studios have been looking at. It's going to be starring Jennifer Lawrence and it's to be directed by Gene Sputnitsky who wrote and co-executive produced The Office. He was also the director of the 2019 comedy Good Boys, which is quite a good little film. No plot details for this one as yet, but it's reportedly in the tone of Tom Cruise's 1983 film Risky Business, as well as the Cameron Diaz comedy Bad Teacher, which Sputnisky co-wrote. A number of the studios were looking at this, including of course Netflix and Apple, but the apparent big price tag pushed them all away, except for Sony. Jennifer Lawrence is reportedly looking at $25 million for this one, and Stupnitsky was also looking at a seven-figure deal. No word as yet as to how much this went for, but no hard feelings is a go at Sony. Oscar winners Tom Lee Jones and Jamie Foxx will be starring in an Amazon Studios picture titled The Burial. Jones will be taking on a role that was previously to be played by his fugitive co-star Harrison Ford, who reportedly had to drop out from the project. The film is based on a true story and it's an adaptation of Jonathan Haar's article for The New Yorker. The Burial will tell the story of a bankrupt funeral home owner who decides to sue a rival businessman over a handshake deal that went wrong. He hires a flamboyant attorney, Fox, to handle the case, which began as essentially a contract dispute and ended up encompassing so much more. On board to direct the film is Maggie Betts, making her sophomore effort as a feature director following critically acclaimed 2017 convent drama Novitia. The screenplay adaptation comes from Doug Wright, who pens the 2000 Jeffrey Rush film Quills. And around four and a half years since the character of Adam Warlock was teased at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, we finally know who will be playing him in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Will Poulter, known for The Revenant, The Mage Runner, Where the Millers and many more, has been cast in the role. Director James Gunn, returning at the helm following the first two films, tweeted, Welcome to the Guardians family, Will Poulter. He's an amazing actor and a wonderful guy. A Guardians of the Galaxy 2 mid-credit sequence saw Aisha, played by Elizabeth Debicki, leader of the Sovereign Race, unveiling a birthing pod holding what she called the next step in our revolution. 
It was a being that she described as being more powerful, more beautiful, and more capable of destroying the Guardians of the Galaxy. Production on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is expected to kick off next month. And M. Night Shyamalan's next film officially has its title, it's gonna be called Knock at the Cabin, and it also has a new release date, February 3, 2023 in the United States, that's two weeks earlier than was first announced for this film. The new release date moves Shyamalan's film away from Marvel's Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which is a smart move. As for the plot, we have nothing to go on, so speculate on what Knock at the Cabin could be about. That about does it for me guys, as always thanks for having me, ScreenRealm.com, also be sure to check out ScreenRealm on YouTube where yours truly is now providing weekly news rundowns in a weekly news series creatively titled ScreenRealm Weekly. Thanks so much guys, catch you next week. When a man's an empty kettle, he should be on his metal, and yet I'm torn apart. Just because I'm presuming that I could be kinda human if I only had a heart I'd be tender, I'd be gentle, and awful sentimental concerning love and art I'd be friends with the sparrows and the boy that shoots the arrows if I only had a heart Picture me a balcony above a voice sings low wherefore art thou romeo i hear a beat how sweet just to register emotion jealousy devotion and really feel the part I would stay young and chipper and I'd lock it with a zipper if I only had a heart. Well, you know the song, but do you recognize that voice? That was the Buddy Epson recording of If I Only Had a Heart from The Wizard of Oz. And Buddy Epson, of course, was famously cast as the Tin Man before having to step down from the role uh, following a life-threatening allergy to the lead-based makeup. Like, phew. Talk about letting a like letting a a role of your career go. If you, you think back now, though, and you found out they had, were using lead based makeup, the person who did end up playing <laughs> the, the Tidman probably died of some kind of horrible cancer. Not to mention they used asbestos for the snow in the poppy scene. Yeah. Oh what really? Yes. Wow. It just sounds like you know, like um, what was that John Wayne movie uh, where they they shot it out in the desert where they did the nuclear testing and everyone on the cast ended up dying of cancer. Oh my God. Why is my instinct to laugh at that? <laughs> it's, it's a nervous thing. It's like, I don't well, know what to say. The, the reason for that song though is um, it was featured in the very underrated 1999 science fiction comedy drama Bicentennial Man starring Robin Williams, Sam Neill and, and Ben's favourite Oliver Platt. Um, and Sam, do you know who directed Bicentennial Man? And don't look at your Google box. <laughs> no. Well, I'll give you a hint. He discovered America. Christopher Columbus? Yeah. And look, my biggest regret, <laughs> the last episode you were on, you made a joke about Christopher Columbus that Ben and I just completely brushed over. But I'll tell you what, it was my favorite part of the show when I listened back. <laughs> yes, it was the highlight for me. <laughs> I can't remember what I said. Ben and I just talking about Christopher Columbus, who made this, who made this, who made this, and you just oh, interject with Discovered America, and Ben and I just what, kept yeah, talking. <laughs> yes, I forgot about that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, they're knocking down his. Uh, they're knocking down his statues now. They are, and that's because um, that's probably because he made Bicentennial Man. Yeah. <laughs> I personally, I think it's a. I think it's a fantastic film, and so I do disagree I. with the destruction of his statues based on, on that film. I agree completely. They want to. They want to knock down Alan Arkush's statue for bloody heartbeeps. <laughs> that's what they should be doing. Yeah, and before that song, um, you heard from Guillermo from Screen Round. So go and visit ScreenRound.com and support all of his work over there. It's a labor of love for him. It's a labor of love for us here. So um, we're going to move on to Guy Pierce. Let's talk about him for a minute. Um, the man really needs no introductions. What are some of your favorite Guy Pierce films? Going to put you on the spot here, both of you. Ben, do you have a favorite? Uh, well, Ravenous. Yeah, I like Ravenous. I like uh, I like uh, Lockout. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah, lockout. The the boneheads are going to talk about that in a little bit, but um, (laughs) even like it's it's so familiar. (laughs) I can't quite put my finger on 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 what it is. You know what? I have to admit, I have uh, I've never seen Memento, Mm -hmm. uh, and that I feel like that is a major gap in my uh, Guy Pierce. I I I would say Memento is probably my favorite Guy Pierce performance. Definitely. But I actually, I, I met him <laughs> on uh, Holding the Man, which I worked on. Um, so that was, oh, Lockout. Is that the one with the, <laughs> in the space? Yeah. And it's like a, a, a jail thing. Luke Besson yeah. was yeah. sued um, because it was a, it was a, it was a ripoff of um, Escape from New York. Oh. <laughs> it was like I don't know where I got the idea from. I was watching uh, John Carpenter movies on on TV, and then suddenly the idea of a prison in space movie came to me. Yeah, and the next movie he made was Memoirs of a Transparent Man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was just reading books by H.G. Wells, uh, and um, uh, then it came to me out of nowhere. What if? I, the loneliness of an invisible man, of a transparent man. I don't know how I come up with these things. They're just in the ether. Ether, they're good. Ether, they're bad. Yeah. <laughs> My favourite um, performance of, of Guy Pierce is Heaven Tonight, which I'm sure you know, Ben, right back in the, the 80s um, movie about with John Waters about the father and son musicians that have this feud because there's this whole argument over rock versus pop and, and the dad is a washed up rocker and Guy Pierce is a son that, that has a hit with a new pop song and it's like this massive, you know, friction and tension between father and son. It's a great film. I have not heard of this film. I you you will out. know the poster. You will know the poster, guaranteed. Yes. What's it called? It was um, written by Frank Housen and um, part of the Boulevard <laughs> films. Which, um, yeah, right. I, yeah. I'm sure you know. I wish Uncle I would Frank. have. I've met Frank Housen. I've met Frank Housen a couple of times. I've met him many I times. Wish... He's, yeah, he's a staple name in Melbourne. Uh, yeah, I wish I had no, known about this. Related to me. Just bear with us, everybody, <laughs> while Ben looks this up. Well, looks it up. I mean, I always thought that Frank Housen's greatest contribution was the fact that he was uh, John Michael Housen's brother. I didn't realize that he actually did stuff. Cousin. But um, if you go back. Um... Cousin? I thought it was brother. No, if you go back, Frank Housen um, created Boulevard Films and their first five or six films were incredible. Guy Pearce was also in the Flynn movie, playing Errol Flynn. Um, they did Boulevard of Broken Dreams, which is an incredible film. 
Um, there's a lot of good stuff. Well, let's. Um, I've got an I've got an interview teed up here, so let's go to that. the The new film is Zone Four One Four, which some people might say is cut from the same fabric as Blade Runner. Maybe. Um, I recently had a chance to chat with Guy about the film, and he goes into depth talking about it. Have a listen, enjoy, and we'll see you on the other side. How are you, Guy? Yeah, I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing really good. How's things treating you over there? Well, all right. Certainly better than they are in uh, for all my friends in Australia at the moment. Yeah, a little bit precarious, that's for sure. Yeah, where um, are you? I'm in Melbourne. Melbourne, yeah. Okay. Riots, <laughs> earthquakes, Jesus. <laughs> you name it, never a dull moment. So um, wanted to start just by asking, because you know, there's a lot about the production of this film that I'm not aware of, but I'm guessing that you squeezed it in before the pandemic took hold? Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't realise the pandemic was going to come, so it didn't feel like I was squeezing a job in. It certainly felt like it was just a, a, one of the few um, films that I had sort of lined up. I'd done Without Remorse in the December of um, <clears throat> 2019 in Berlin, and then this was basically January of 2020. Um, and then I went to, um, well, this was sort of January, February of 2020. And then I went to Pennsylvania in America to do really just seven days on Mayor of Easttown. My first day being the 12th of March. And of course, by that point, we were all aware of the pandemic uh, and every, everything was sort of shutting down around us. And I'd done one day on Mayor of Easttown on the 12th of March, and then we shut down. But obviously, you know, back in the olden days of, the, of January, February of 2020, uh, it, it didn't seem like a problem. So we managed to get Zone 414 done in time. And, uh, you know, thankfully, we all, with Andrew at the helm, made a good film and got it, got it done before we got closed down. Oh, lucky stuff. And can we talk about Andrew for a moment? Um, it's a quite a remarkable feat to pull off a film of this quality, considering it's a, a first-time feature for him. What was he like to work with as a director? Oh, he's delightful. I mean, he's a great guy. He's lovely and funny and, you know, just really has great taste. And, you know, so it it, it was a good collaboration as well because I think he was you know, he was aware that he was sort of embarking on something that felt um, perhaps bigger than he dealt with before. And so he said from the outset, look, you know, you you clearly have far more experience than me. <laughs> so <laughs> any thoughts and ideas and, you know, any concerns that you have, please raise them. Let's talk about them. Let's, you know, let's, I let's get to the point of being on the same page. Um, so he was very honest about that. And, and, you know, aside from my usual kind of questions and um, process, I suppose, before starting any film, um, you know, there was nothing out of the ordinary. He's, a, he's just a clever guy who had a really good sort of vision of, of what this could be. Um, and certainly based within the sort of, you know, the budgetary constraints that were there. I mean, it's not a, it's not a big film by any means, uh, sort of budgetary wise, you know, and we know that there's been lots of great sci-fi films out there, you know, that are hundred and $200 million kind of budgets. And it's, you know, the world is your oyster kind of stuff. But what felt great about this, and I suppose rang true 
to me, particularly as an Aussie actor, is that, you know, we, we, we take a great idea, you know, a great story, something that feels true and, and emotional and, you know, relevant and, and, and sort of connected as far as characters, you know, um, conversing with each other and going what's the best version of that that we can put on the screen for this you know limited time and budget and that we have you know and and, and Andrew was really simpatico you know he he's he's not a he's not a big budget guy himself um even though he's done some pretty cool and expensive music videos mm -hmm. but he just what he was interested in was what I'm interested in, which is sort of the, you know, the psychology that exists between two characters, whether it's these two or these two or these two or these four together or, and so just because the film was set, you know, somewhere in the near future and it was about a technology that we're all kind of, you know, chewing our fingernails that, that might eventuate, um, really, it was—it's a human sort of story, you know, um, and it, and and because it, in a way, sort of relates to the sense of identity that mm -hmm. we all feel we're trying to find, and we all feel is even harder to find in this modern world with technology and the fact we all communicate through little robots called our telephones. In there somewhere is a, is a beating heart and a and a and a and a, a kind of an emotional drive that that I think lays at the heart of this film, you know. And and so of course we have Matilda's character, who's you know essentially an android, but she's starting to feel things, and 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 that that's what this film sort of looks at. So, you know, it was kind of interesting on on a number of sort of bigger levels. Um, but it was also lovely and intimate. And Andrew was very across, sort of really across all of that. You know, he, he was great, really lovely to work with and just had a good sense of perspective, I think. I think you nailed that on the head because that's what I took from it too. There, there is a big scope to it, but the intimacy is very obvious as well. Um, and I was wa wanting to ask you about the character you play. Like you, you've played many different types of characters over the years, but you do seem to make light work of these types of characters, which are, I guess the rough around the edges, almost detective types. What draws you to these sort of characters? Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, to bring a sort of a... Um you know to to find flaws in a character and and yet to find an intelligence and a drive and a, a sort of a motivation where you know i mean it, it it purely depends i'm really interested in all sorts of characters you know there's no question mm -hmm. about it i'm 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 really happy to play someone who's catatonic you know and and as long as we're looking at why they're catatonic and and how they've gotten to that sort of stage and you know i think it's a i think it's a fairly common and um, popular um, uh, sort of film um, storytelling uh, device, if you want to use that word, you know, where you have a character who's an investigator or they're, they're thrown in a situation where they've got to sort of keep moving forward and they're either asking questions or they're avoiding questions. And, you know, with something like this, you've, you've got somebody who clearly, you know, as, a, as an ex-cop, um, has a has a sort of a, a natural fascinating sort of drive to you know to do the things that they do and yet of course we find this character that I play where he's kind of repressing 
his own history. He's repressing uh, even just his surroundings. You know, he says from the outset, I'm just doing this to make money. I need to make money. That's all there is to it. And yet we know as an audience and we want to investigate uh, what's really going on for him. So I think, I think that question about our own behaviour or that question about our own identity or the identity of those around us is just stuff that I'm always naturally interested in. And that, that sort of um, manifests in different forms. You know, whether you're playing a cop who's an investigator who's, you know, we were talking earlier at work this morning about LA Confidential, you know, and what a what a what a great character that was that I got to play, and obviously Russell's character and Kevin's character, etc. You know, these these fantastic investigators, but you know, that 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 you're always imbuing them with your own with the character's own personal story. And I think that 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 juxtaposition of of personal drive uh, a personal kind of desire to understand who who you are so if that exists in a character um as well as how your character sort of fits in the world you know all these kind of existential questions about life and our own sort of um you know reason for being here if that stuff is is bubbling away in the you know at the bottom of of a character you're playing that i'm always interested whether it's set in the future whether it's set in the past it doesn't really matter it's it's the emotional stuff that I'm always sort of drawn to you know and and obviously certain films fall into kind of certain categories you know and I I tend to forget that you know yeah. people saying what what's the genre and I'm like I don't know is a guy who's trying to figure something out you go oh, I guess it's <laughs> sci-fi or I guess it's a horror film or I guess it's a you know I forget about genre stuff because I'm always focusing more on the individual and what the individual is trying to sort of work out for themselves or trying to avoid, you know. Yeah, definitely. I wanted to um, touch upon two of your castmates, probably more observational than anything, but Travis uh, Fimmel is almost unrecognisable in this and his appearance is almost not too far removed from yours in Prometheus. Like, did you sympathise with the poor bloke? <laughs> yeah, those hours in makeup, you know. Uh, but, it, but of course it was his doing and he wanted to... <laughs> You know, what was great, I mean, you know, Travis is lovely and hilarious. And, you know, I think when you are born with such beauty and you want to be taken seriously, you do everything you possibly can to get away from that that beauty, you know. And so he, I think what was really relevant, and it isn't just that, it isn't just about Trav's kind of perspective on himself. I think, you know, what was really important and what he brought to the film was this idea that, you know, he, he's playing a man who's trying to create a perfect world out there. So, and as we know, there are plenty of people out there who, who do so much sort of plastic surgery and, you know, different kinds of work on themselves that ends up meaning they just don't look human anymore. They just don't look, you know, they're, they're actually kind of running away from themselves rather than getting to the, to the heart of themselves. And, and the, you know, the whole notion that, if, if you do one more thing and another thing and do another thing and do another thing that the search just is eventually going to reach some sort of climax or some sort of finale. And he wanted to play somebody who clearly isn't satisfied with how he looks. And, you know, obviously he's creating these androids or these robots or whatever you want to call them, but he's kind of also trying to create himself. So it was a really interesting choice of Trav's and it was great. Mm -hmm. You know, it was fascinating to be on set with him and go, wow, <laughs> look at you. 
Yeah, definitely. The the other one I wanted to touch upon was um I was thrilled to see Ned Dennehy pop up in this movie because I do like him a lot. And did you know his first movie was The Matchmaker by Mark Joffe, who's you know a mate of yours? Yeah, yeah. No, I did know that, and I I I've not. Ned and I have not come across each other before, although he had worked with Carice, my my partner, um, in a film some years ago. So and and I'm not sure because we filmed we made Zone Four One Four in Belfast, which is where Carice always filmed um, Game of Thrones. So I think they'd come across each other as well. So I was certainly aware of Ned, and he and he we you know was passing on his love to Carice, uh, you know, when we made the film. But he's a very interesting actor, and I think that scene, you know, of his is one of the most compelling in the film. It's such a sort of heart of darkness, you know, mm. moment where you just think, "Wow, what what has humanity sort of got to?" And but that's what the whole film kind of is about. And in an interesting way, you know, it, it's always funny when you play a character who's really just the observer of all the madness around. You know, a bit like when I did the proposition or. You know, you, you, in, on some level, you, you forget who it is you're playing because the, the main task is to just observe the, you know, the the unusual nature around you. And, yeah, definitely. And Ned certainly brought that. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, look, you know, we're almost out of time, but um, I just wanted to ask on a personal level, it, it's probably self-explanatory with everything going on in Melbourne at the moment, but do you miss home? I miss home like crazy. Yeah. I came home at Christmas to do our final Jack Irish. And it was the first time I'd been back in two and a half years, which was way too long. Um, We were meant to shoot Poor Boy in Australia last year. And obviously that all got messed up by COVID. And um, so, yeah, I'm homesick all the time. Yep. Yep. Well, that's good to know. But um, from from me on a personal level, um, I've been a fan of yours right since the beginning with the Boulevard films, and Heaven Tonight is just right up there for me. Absolutely, oh, watch okay. it. I watch it regularly. <laughs> <laughs> wow, sleeping and dying. Flashback. <laughs> yes. But thanks so much for um, making time for me. I know your time's precious. I do appreciate it. Oh no worries. Good to talk to you. You too. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Glenn. Take care, mate. Welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. Guys, he's got one of the best actors on earth is on the show. One of, if not my favorite actor of all Working today, Guy Pierce, And I'm going to give him a compliment. You want to hear it? Yeah. He is in two movies that are not good, and he is the best part of them. Oh, I know what you're going to do, you bastard. Go for it. One of them is The Time Machine. Yep. The third act. Okay. But he's a fan. And when they cast him, I was like, oh, but the movie's not very good. That's not his fault. He's the best part of the movie. And Chad, what's the other one? I'm going to say Lockout. Lockout, which is a huge, <laughs> which is basically a ripoff of Escape from New York. There's a whole thing of it. But he's still amazing in it. He is such an anti hero smartass. It he's is great. so good in it. And the opening sequence of him being a punched in the credits going over as he sways back and forth. Oh, it is fantastic. He's so <laughs> good in it. The Again, it's is, not is a movie is not, well, it's not, but guy is fantastic. Love to have him on the show. James, yeah, I go. would love to have him on we the show. We would love I, to talk to him. Literally, about. literally three. As soon as, as this topic came up, like three films came to mind. One of them is, is literally one. And I'm uh, just a great film. Count Stop saying Monte literally Christ. and great. Count of Monte Cristo. 
Why don't you put that in the donut and stop eating, Mr. Count Critical? it, Chad. Anyway, Count it, Monte Cristo. The other one, actually, I really enjoy him playing opposite villain to uh, Robert Downey Jr. in Iron Man 2. His casting there worked you out pretty well. You mean Iron Man 3, James? Yeah, you'd mean Iron Man 3. I Listen, I do cocaine because Iron Man 2 is Mickey Rourke. Anyway, the last one I have to say, and this is the one I assume Chad would assume I was going to talk about. Again, you can't, you always have an opinion one say way it. or the other. You have to give credit to Ravenous. There Thank he you. goes. Thank so you. Chad called it before you, while you were gone, he said, Ravenous and Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah, you didn't see Iron Man 3 coming, though, did you? No, no neither did you. You said Iron Man 2. <laughs> I do cocaine. I mean, not well. I don't know how to do cocaine. I assume I just have to uh, put it in a scanner. That, yeah, that's, that how that's, the kids do it? we're going to get you All into right. a drug re class where you, they teach you how to do it correctly. How to do them. Thanks, Oddly Joe. enough, it's at the self-help place next to the rehab. Chad, go. Well, since Joe stole lockout, I'm going to talk about one that probably Glenn's going to hate me on because sometimes I steal Glenn's picks, but I got to talk about the proposition. Yeah, fantastic performance. Guy Pierce is fantastic in that movie. Um, him playing Charlie Burns, a man who is given a choice, die or hunt your brother. And not only is it a, a completely gut-wrenching performance by Guy Pierce, the beauty of just a desolate wasteland um, that is a uh, frontier Australia. Um, it's Which beautiful. is pretty sure what it looks like today. Oh yeah. Yeah. Glenn, Glenn with the flies all over him. Every time we talk, it's just terrible. And ben, I feel so bad for Ben because he's my soulmate. Yeah. And he got scalped by that drop bear. I'm telling you, it's terrible. Ben, Ben. <laughs> oh my God. Are you going to start saying Ben by Michael Jackson? No, I really, shouldn't sing anything. Dang. But Ben could be my bear. Girl. I'll grow, fine, I'll grow a beard just like Ben. I just, can't grow a beard just like just Ben. Like ben. Hey, you know, this, we, I'm amazed we got too. through this, by the way, without mentioning Memento. Now cut it. This is Joe. This is Bonehead Weekly Fun Socks. Bye, Ben. Man, those guys really do love Guy Pierce. I wonder if uh, I wonder if they know about Jack Irish, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm constantly. I'm. I am always constantly surprised at how big some Australian actors are overseas. Like mm. for us, it's, oh, it's just Guy Pierce. It's the guy from Neighbours. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and then for them, it's like, it's the guy from Memento. You're like, yeah. oh, I suppose. I suppose you could look at it that way, but yeah. <laughs> I, I think we should tell them to go back and watch his guest role on the Colin Carpenter show. Yeah. <laughs> and Sam is probably thinking, what Colin? the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. No idea. Colin Carpenter. <laughs> Colm Carpenter show Colm. was the best. Colm? Colm. Colm. <laughs> nobody, nobody listening to this can see Sam's face just like, <laughs> what? Thoroughly unimpressed. <laughs> Why can't they say the name Colm? Because <laughs> it's Colm. It's Colm. I went to Ashwood Secondary College. And Ashwood Secondary College's claim to fame was that Kim Gingell uh, went to high school there. Well, I think at the time it would have been Ashwood Ashwood High or Jordanville Tech. But, uh, yeah, he was the only famous person to have uh, come out of that school. <laughs> Sam, this was a guy that was famous very much in the 80s and early 90s. He was on a famous sketch comedy show called The Comedy Company, which had one of his characters had his own TV show called The Colin Carpenter Show, and Guy Pearce oh, was a guest yeah. on that. It, uh. was a gr- it was a really good show, too. And, uh, you know, the one of the co-stars on the Colin Carpenter show, Stig Weems, wrote a kid's book. And when I was working at Borders, he came in to do like a reading. 
And then some bright spark had the idea that it'd be fun to let him uh, have a go at the PA system. And he went to town. Mate, he still does that. He goes around to schools reading books. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I follow him on Facebook and Instagram. He's fucking great right. value. He's, yeah, he was very entertaining. Like he, you know, he definitely pulled up because it's a kid's book and there are a lot of, you know, a lot of, you know, parents with their kids there, but then there was a lot of other people that he pulled up from his, uh, his, uh, PA announcements. I am going to tell him to listen to this show. He'll get a kick out of that. Big ups yeah. to Stig. Oh, <laughs> uh, you've taken me back, mate. Awkward pause. Okay, Ben, it's your turn. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll take the lead on this one. I'll take the lead on this one. Um, <laughs> the first movie I'm going to talk about is Class of 1999, which um, is the thematic sequel to Class of 1984, both of which were directed by Mark L. Lester. Now, you know, going back to Class of 1984, just to lay some context there, that was a film, uh, it's one of those films about, you know, a school that's been dominated by gangs and, and crime and all that kind of stuff. And then you get the teacher that comes in and tries to swoop in and clean things up. And But in that movie, the teacher's wife ends up getting like completely gang raped and then he unleashes like a bloody hell of violence on the students. And it's, it's glorious. It's glorious stuff. Um and I highly recommend it. But eight years later, Richard Lester followed it up with Class of 1999, which told of a dystopian future where schools are still overrun by crime and it's so bad that the Board of Education um, teams up with this sort of massive um, megatech organisation to send in android teachers. So they've got three military androids that have been reprogrammed to teach and react to bad behaviour. And of course, um, <laughs> their old military modes kick in and they just become like killing machines on a rampage. And it's fantastic stuff. I really do love it. And it's, it's a lot more far-fetched, obviously, than the first movie. Um, and that's the fun of it. The robot teachers, they're great. Um, one of them is played by Pam Greer. The other one is played by John P. Ryan, who's been in um, The Right Stuff and It Lives and Runaway Train. He's fantastic. He plays the senior of the robots. And then Patrick Kilpatrick um, from Free Willy 3 and Eraser <laughs> and Replacement Killers <laughs> in Free Willy 3. Like, you're laughing, but he was like the, the dad that's out there, like, killing the whales. Like, he was the one that had to be, <laughs> had to be taught the lesson. And oh, he's... I like him. I like him a lot. And he's, he was really young in this one, really good. And what I find interesting about these robots is the way they actually interact with each other when they're not at school. So they all live together, but they talk to each other like they're human. Like they actually, you know, there's no reason for them to communicate when they're at home. If they're robots, they just shut down and then, you know, come back the next day. But no, they, they sit in their armchairs and they have a yak. <laughs> it's just so, so stupid. <laughs> But uh, Stacey Keach is also in this one. He plays the big tech boss and he's got like this weird snow white mullet and he's got white eyes for no apparent reason other than it looks really cool and futuristic. <laughs> and um, Malcolm McDowell plays the principal. Uh, so yeah, Class of 1999, I really do love this one. Um, it's available on YouTube in uh, that you can, you can rent for a few bucks. Um, full of violence, punks getting their asses kicked. It's really cool. Now I was going to do Class of 1999 Part 2 for my second film. Um, but the reason I've chosen not to is because it turns out that Sasha Mitchell's not a robot at all. He just thinks he is. So, <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert, it gets to the end and it's like, you're not a robot. You've just, you're just suffering massive trauma from being in the war. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but, but if you want to round the trilogy off, that, that was originally called Class of 2001 because it is set two years after the, the previous film, but just... 
I guess, to sell videotapes, they called it Class of 99 Part 2, even though it's not set in 99, so that's confusing. That's, yeah, that's, that's weird. <sighs> but, Ben, um, that's my recommendation. What are you sitting on over there, sir? Uh, well, I, uh, I had no, never seen this film before, uh, and so it was a good opportunity to, uh, to, to watch it. Uh, it is 1975's The Stepford Wives. <laughs> Classic. Directed by Brian <laughs> Forbes, uh, the guy who did uh, uh, Seance on a Wet Afternoon and King Rat and one of the many International Velvet remakes. Um, but Hang on, the, stop. The... Stop right there. How good's International Velvet, I must say? Carry on. I've only seen the original. I've only seen the one with Mickey Rooney. and um... That's National Velvet. It's National Velvet. So which one's International Velvet? The one with Anthony Hopkins and um, Tatum O'Neill. It's the same story though, right? No, it's a sequel. Yeah. So, okay. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> They're related is my point. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, right. So I've only seen National Velvet then. I haven't seen International Velvet. Anyway, carry on. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> it stars Mickey Rooney and uh, he plays a jockey, like a jockey trainer. Who trains a very young, uh, what's her name? Uh, Elizabeth. I can't remember her name. Liz Taylor. Taylor. Liz Taylor to ride a horse in the uh, national velvet. But no. And and the thing is, it's it's a robot horse, right? It's a, yes. <laughs> no, uh, Liz Taylor is a robot. Oh yeah. Um, she but she's made out of plastic. That's why she's so light. We ride the horsey faster uh, than the, the stupid fuck? humans. Uh, no, <laughs> it's based on a based on a novel by Ira Levin, but the screenplay is actually uh, written by William Goldman, so you know it's going to be a corker. Um, it is. A, it's a pretty pretty fantastic film. It um, stars Catherine Ross, Catherine Ross, uh, and her husband, played by P Peter Masterson. Uh, like one day, he just kind of comes home and basically tells them that we're moving to Stepford. I've got a job there, and he's a lawyer, and. Uh, this place is a perfect town and, uh, you know, we need a change and this is it because the city is violent and full of bad people and um, Stepford is lovely and wonderful. And Catherine Ross is a bit against this, but what's she going to do? So they, they all moved to Stepford and uh, soon Catherine Ross, Ross starts to notice that all the women only like uh, doing housework and, you know, doing whatever their husbands want. And she can't quite figure out why. And then she meets um, Paul Apprentice, um, who's like similarly new in town. Mm -hmm. And uh, and she also doesn't understand what's going on. And uh, Tina Louise from Gilligan's Island is another uh, kind of new in town member. And then kind of things happen and her husband's constantly going off to the, I can never remember the name of it, the, um, the men's association or the men's mm -hmm. club or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And uh, having like all these kind of like lodge meetings and stuff. And then, like, she kind of then her friends, Paul Apprentice, like all of a sudden she gets into really get really gets into housework and stuff like that. And if you like, I don't think I'm spoiling anything to say that basically what's happening is that the the men folk are, are turning the women into robots. Yeah, well, it's it's it came at that that time yeah. when you had a spate of movies like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and as you said um, the other week, Soylent Green. These movies that kind of take society and and present an alternative and and like the spoiler from soil green it's the same as Stefford wise it's the classic spoiler that most people know whether they've seen the movie or not yeah, yeah. and and it's a horror film too like Stefford wives is a horror film like it's a yeah it's and it, a, it is a chilling i have to say it is, 
it is really weird. Like it is hard to know what is actually happening with Stepford Wives because um, like I did fall down a bit of a, a rabbit hole. I also watched uh, the made for TV sequel <laughs> uh, Revenge of the Stepford Wives. With Don Johnson. With Don Johnson <laughs> and Julie Kavner, AKA Marge Simpson. Yep. Uh, is it and Sharon Gless from Cagney and Lacey and the Stepford Children with Barbara Eden, another yep. made for TV movie. And don't forget. Sorry. Next one. Oh, and uh, the Stepford Husbands. Yes. Uh, from 1996 with Donna Mills and Michael Ontkeen. <laughs> yes. uh, what a franchise. What a, fr- what a franchise. And it is hard to tell, like through all of them, I, it does become a bit clearer in the, um, in the 94 version, but what they actually, what, what they do to the women to turn them in, to make them subservient, like in the, in, in the original one, you don't know. At one point, Catherine Ross does walk into a room and she sees a replica of herself just without eyes mm. um, and kind of freaks out. And then next thing you know, she's one of the wives. Mm. You, so you, you, as far as you can tell, she's been replaced by a robot. Yeah, then things ha- in the other movies, you know, that may not be the case. There are other things going on. So, yeah, yeah it's, it a, it's a little like, I don't know if there's like, actually, the what they have in the book would be really interesting to have you read to the book? discover. Read no, I haven't. I, oh. I think that that would like answer answer a lot of it. A lot of those questions. Yeah. I was, I was actually surprised that it was Ira Levin who wrote the book. Cause it's like, this is a hundred percent like a Michael Crichton mm. type story. And I like before going into it, before like reading the Wikipedia page, I could have, if you would have asked me, I would have said it's based on a Michael Crichton novel. Mm. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. It's very Westworldy. Yeah, totally, and it, and it, it like it is a, it is a super watchable movie. Like it is really good. Paul Apprentice is once again like I, the first thing I ever saw her in was Man's Favorite Sport, and became immediately obsessed with her. And it, this movie again, you kind of see why she's just effervescent. Mm-hmm. And did you know um, Jordan Peele cites Stepford Wise as the the biggest inspiration for Get Out? That makes a lot of sense. Like yeah. the themes the themes are the same. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, it's good. Like they're branching out. They branch out too. Like in the in in um, you know, at one point there's a, a black couple move to town, and this town is like there's no black people in this town. Like it's a hundred percent white. Uh, I just had a thought. That couple that just moved in. It's Andy Kaufman and Bernadette Peters from Heartbeats. <laughs> <laughs> they're on. They're on the run from another town where they replace people with robots. Oh, shit. Well, thank you, man. That's a great film. I love that one. Um, Very appropriate for this show, but we've got to push on. Um, When I I told Chloe that we're doing Android movies, this is what sprung to her mind. Hello and happy Monday, friends. I'm Chloe from Movie Night with the Richie Girls, and this week had me working hard against every fibre in my body not to talk about Termi 2, a movie that definitely sits in my solidified top five must resist Artie. Instead, I'm going to talk about an animated movie that, in my opinion, didn't get the recognition it deserved because it was well and truly stampeded by Frozen. Big Hero 6, in all honesty, is one of the better animated movies of the 21st century. Despite it not being a musical, which, you know, is always a plus in my books, it makes up for it in that feel-good, family-friendly, all-around fun. And what's not to love about it? The lovable ragtag group of superhero friends, the voice talents of Jamie Chung and Alan Tudyk and Maya Rudolph, or the giant marshmallow robot whose only want is to help people. The main characters, brothers Hiro and Tadashi, are orphaned, super genius robot engineers. That's totally relatable, right? Their brotherly, lovable relationship is what gives this movie its feel-good nature. 
spoiler alert, when Tadashi's tragic end is what brings this movie back down to reality and gives the movie feeling and depth that will bring tears to your eyes, whether you're hormonal like me or burly and gruff like a certain husband I may be married to. <laughs> Baymax, the android and creation of Big Brother Tadashi, is what sparks the story and the relationship between Hiro and Baymax after Tadashi is gone. His sole purpose is to recognize when someone is hurt and to help them heal. The way I see it, after multiple viewings of this remarkable animation, I'm reminded of life and society today. A lot of the scars we have are the ones that we don't see. And this is the way we as an audience can realistically relate to Hero. It's grief and depression and isolation that we're suffering with today. And I feel like Disney are just tremendous at capturing raw human emotion and speaking to the masses without directly saying what they're trying to portray. And I can relate. I bet a lot of people can. When I'm feeling depressed and overwhelmed and anxious, and truly like I can't be in my own head, I turn to technology too. Movies, TV, social media, TikTok, etc. They're all ways that we can mentally escape. I just wish Netflix was a big giant marshmallow that I could hug and could dispense band-aids. Back in 2014, when Big Hero 6 came out, all of this technology and social media stuff was still relatively new. Disney still had the forethought as to how it could potentially help us cope in this day and age. Now, we all know androids and AI is our future, and Disney was smart enough to make him look like a squeezable, lovable, pokeable, friendly, giant hug on legs. That's smart. Because in truth, we're all aware that we should probably be a lot more cautious with technology, but, you know, it's also not going anywhere. Our kids and our kids' kids will be laughing at us in 2050 for thinking Big Hero 6 was, you know, advanced technology. <laughs> this movie is smart and it's funny and emotional and imaginative and just everything that embodies a great animation. That's all from me this week. Happy Monday, friends. I had forgotten all about Big Hero 6. I like that movie. Has... Uh... Has Chloe watched a movie made pre-1990? <laughs> I don't know. She can respond. It's not that I have a, I don't have an issue with it. I'm just curious because all of her recommendations are from relatively recent movies. Yeah, well, she prides herself on being the mainstream focus of the show. And um, I guess, you know, when you go mainstream, you, you don't look back, mate. <laughs> yeah, certainly not, certainly not to uh, meet Joe Dirt. It's always new things coming out. So it's well, like... Yeah. Did you know, like, Big, Big Hero 6 is technically the first Disney Marvel film because that's based on a Marvel comic. Yes. Ah, yeah. interesting. Marvel did, like, had, like, a, a short, very short-lived kids line. <laughs> yeah, well, like, Disney had... To, sorry, they were trying to capture in that kind of the anime. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is that, yeah. Is that when anime started getting really popular? Oh, no, long before that. Yeah, yeah it it had been popular for a while, but it, that that shows you how kind of slow and uh, archaic a lot of these mm. big American institutions are. Like they <laughs> they just figured it out, and by the time they figured it out, it had already started to. I don't want to say it started to decline. It hadn't, mm -hmm. but it it gotten to the point where there was already like classics, like yeah. <laughs> that had been around for thirty years. Well, you know, there, there's there's like popular, the and then there's like mainstream right like it, it can be popular but as soon as it hits mainstream that's when that's yeah. when everyone knows it it's absolutely. like a household thing yeah absolutely and uh chloe comes from the podcast movie night with the richie girls which she hosts with her mum kate um it's good fun and i believe they're gearing up for their second series uh of course you can also catch chloe alongside myself on facebook and youtube every wednesday night at 10 30 for our up late videos so sam it's the two of us for the next round would you like to take it away Yes, 
I am doing Stepford Wives <gasps> as <Yeah>. well. <laughs> what? Get out of town, Stepford. Two thousand and four. <laughs> Uh, 2004, with Nicole Kidman. Well, a, a huge cast, really. Um, Nicole Kidman, Glenn Close, Bette Midler, Matthew Broderick, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know why I said it like that. Um, and Christopher Walken and Roger Bart. And uh, basically, it's the same same deal, except they really accentuate the the females and and who they are in this film. Well, like some may say this one's a comedy. Yes, yeah. It, it definitely, um, on uh, IMDb, it does say that this is a comedy, whereas the other one says horror. So it's mm. defi- they definitely, like, oh, and Frank Oz directed this one, so that might give you a little bit of a, um insight as well. But... Um, it's hilarious. I love this film so much. I actually have, like, people can't see this, but you guys can. I have the DVD, and it's got the Video Easy sticker on it. Yeah, and yeah. I've had this for so long, and I, I grew up watching it, and I loved it so much. I watched it, like, a million times. Um, but, Man, you still got yeah. a sticker on that thing? I Tell do. you what. Yeah, like- it says brand new as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I cannot leave stickers on things. It just drives oh, me really? insane. The, the fucking, I, the second I get home, that sticker's off. Really? Yeah. It's like yeah. a part of it. But but aren't, like, aren't you sad that you don't have like all these, you know, stickers from from Video Easy and Blockbuster now that they're I've got rolls gone? and rolls of them in my garage. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> it's not on... The DVD. I don't miss that at all. <laughs> I know what you're saying. Like, I don't have a problem with it on VHS tapes. Like, Ben behind him, people can't see, but he's got a collection of VHS. A lot mm. of them have stickers on them. That's fine. I, I, there's something weird about that that I like. But on DVD, I don't think really? they're, I don't so think they're retro and nostalgic enough to have stickers on them. <laughs> I don't know. It's, <laughs> carry on. I'm getting angry. Yeah. <laughs> I just say, I found, like, the, the, the comedy in, in the in the remake it's it's so broad like and, mm. they, and they really belabor some of the points like that like at the start when nicole kidman's giving that speech like she's a top flight tv executive yeah she's, a, it's, she's at like the upfronts addressing the crowd and the crowd is like 90 percent women mm. and she's like but she's talking about the most like aggressive and offensive reality shows that yeah <laughs> like that they would make jokes <laughs> about later on and all yeah. the women are like standing up and applauding like they love that stuff and they yeah. even when and when they get to the town like the, the women are so aggressive like the the comedy is so like aggressive and obvious mm. like in your face like the the kind of they beat yeah they beat it like beat you over the head with you know that the women are second-class citizens and the you know the the men are pigs and, and but simultaneously they're all idiots too <laughs> like they're all like they're all man babies which I guess look does make sense because you know a, a you know a, a real man uh, doesn't want an automaton for a, for a wife, whereas a man baby just wants a, a glorified servant and yeah. sex toy. I, I think that John Lovitz, John Lovitz, perfectly. Yeah, John. Oh, John Lovitz. I forgot to mention him. Yeah, I I, I think that the reason why they they really I think the comedy is through how obvious they make. All yeah. of this, With, as I mean, well. the, the original is quite subtle, 
Mm. Like if you don't, if you don't know what Stepford Wives, if you live under, have been living under a rock for 40 years and have never heard of Stepford Wives and watch the first movie, you wouldn't really, it's not that obvious what's going on. Whereas, and even then the thing, like, like I was talking about when I was talking about Stepford Wives, the first one, the second one, they do explain it a lot more. Like there's microchips in the, in the brain that control the women and all that sort of stuff. They don't understand, they, but they still replicate that scene when Nicole Kidman walks in on a, yeah. the fake Nicole Kidman with yeah. no eyes. And you're like, why? I don't understand well, I guess, I guess the, the, the film arrives with the world knowing what Stepford is like, you know, it's, yeah. it's you know, so it kind of has to. Which is why it went to the comedy thing, but I, and, and they do have the twist at the end is pretty good. That is that I didn't see coming. Although I did, I have to say that if, I thought I did think it was odd as much as I love Glenn Close. I did think it was a bit odd that, um, you know, all the other women are these, you know, perfect model types and then Glenn Close. <laughs> you know, I mean, I love Glenn Close, but yeah. even, even as the perfect housewife, she's a bit manic. She's the prototype. He was, yeah. <laughs> she's, she's just a bit full on. Yeah. You'd be like, yeah. But I guess that in, in, at the end of the film, you kind of, it kind of answers that, Oh with, no! Totally with the twist. Yeah, yeah. With, with the totally like mm. Glenn Close's character makes a hundred percent sense once that happened. Mm. But before just, that, yeah. But why? Yeah, why is the? Because they're not, and that and that's something that happens in the sequel too. They're not ro- they, They're not robots. They're not mm. um, replaced. Yeah. By by androids, and in in um, Revenge of the Stepford Wives, it's the same thing. They're all it's it's a lot more pharmaceutical than it is mechanical. Mm. and they you know the, this bell goes off in the town and all the women that are robots stop and take a this pill mm. and if they take too many of the pills or stop taking their pills they kind of revert back to themselves mm. and that's kind of how Sharon Gless like foils the the plot what mm. what is different what is really different about the sequels and stuff and I think to a degree even in the Stefford Wives uh, remake is that the whole town is in on it in the original, it's only the members of that, the leaders of the town, yeah. members of that gentleman's association. Like the regular people have no idea what's going on. Yeah, Whereas yeah. in in the Revenge and in um, uh, the Stepford Wives 2004 version, like everyone, everyone in Stepford is 100% on board mm. with this. And I think aren't they in, in Stepford Wives? Aren't they? They're actually talking about branching out. Yeah, they talk about Branding. like. Yeah, because she she mentioned or they mentioned at the end like that that the men were going to be replaced or not replaced, but the men were going to get chips as well. So basically, oh. the whole idea was like yeah. to make this perfect world, this world, perfect yeah. existence where men are men and women are women. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but it, it's interesting that they did in this new one or the the remake they they did make all of the women like these big CEO, um, mm. successful women. And the men were successful too. It's just the women were more successful. More successful. And I, did find, <laughs> I did find that funny when they when she's researching them on the internet and yeah. she finds out who they are. And it's like, you know, she's a supermodel by day, but also a Supreme Court justice yeah. woman. <laughs> You're like, oh. It's funny seeing the photos, the differences between like, and, and even that when you, you were saying before how the comedy is so like, obvious even the pictures are obvious it's like it goes from like the stepford look to the pictures that she finds on the internet and they look like dominatrixes they're like got the 
the hair back and like this sour look on their face like it is yeah. it's true it's like it's quite an obvious thing but I think that that's where the comedy is in the film. It's really, it really is like, you know, there's that scene in The Big Sleep where Humphrey Bogart goes into the bookshop across the road from the one that he's stalking and he talks to the sales girl and she's got the glasses on and he's like, oh, do you have to? And she goes, oh, sorry. And she takes them down and, and like undoes her hair and he's like, ooh. It's like she's a whole different person. <laughs> yeah. It's totally, the, the, it's the Superman Clark Kent. Yep. Thing. They're like, I, totally, I didn't recognize her when she uh, yeah, had a different haircut. And was wearing normal clothes. <laughs> well, I think the Stepford Wise remake is a, an excellent, if anything, case study like, against the original. I think they're really mm. good to sort of watch back to back and sort of make those comparisons and have conversation. Is there anything else you want to add about that one before I kick off with mine? No, no, go ahead. Awesome. Right, I'm going to go back to 1985. I'll keep this one pretty brief. It's uh, a movie that will no doubt trigger uh, an explosion of nostalgia with anyone our age, Ben. I'm talking about Daryl. The, the movie that was directed by Simon Winsor, the Aussie guy behind classics like Far Lap and Free Willy and Lonesome Dove. And it starred Oliver Barrett, who was uh, Bastion from the original Never Ending Story movie. This kid was hot property in the 80s. Wouldn't you agree, Ben? Uh, I didn't <laughs> personally find him hot, but yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> he was, though, like he was one of those um, one of those kids in Hollywood that appeared to be sort of dominating the screen even though he didn't really make that many movies. But um, the movie Daryl is a great science fiction drama about a 10-year-old boy who it turns out he's actually a, a government-created robot who um, has you know, super intelligence and um, superhuman reflexes and abilities. And um, even sort of he develops, he starts to develop human characteristics, almost like a Pinocchio kind of thing. And um, I should also say that Daryl, his name is an acronym for Data Analyzing Robot Youth Life Form. Um, <laughs> But the story goes that his adoptive parents have no idea that he is a robot, um, and that is until the government decide to terminate the project, uh, including all of their test subjects. And that means that you know Daryl is you know scheduled for uh, you know, destruction. Um, he ends up going on the run with the help of his developer, and the story sort of becomes a manhunt thriller. This sort of thing happened a lot in movies back in the eighties with the government and the military chasing kids or you know chasing. Uh, escaped experiments and all that kind of stuff. But it's it's very cool. The government, the government wanted to keep their secrets. Yes. It was always and, and experimenting on their own population. Yeah, you know, even go back to E.T., the same kind of thing. You always had government agents, you know, chasing kids with guns pretty much. Um, <laughs> and the story does get a little bit complex at times. It's it's hard to articulate, and I'll probably leave it at that, but um, it's one of those, like I said, high-tech family adventures that came along when Short Circuit was big and War Games and Manhattan Project. It was just a really, really good era. So um, the cast included Michael McKean, who, you know, modern-day uh, TV fans would probably know from Better Call Saul. Others might know him from um, all of the Christopher Guest movies, you know, Spinal Tap and all that. Uh, Mary Beth Hurt, Joseph Sumner, and Colleen Camp and David Wall are in this. It's got a good cast, and it's easy to find. It's on digital platforms, so if you've never seen Daryl and you love 80s adventures, go for it. Check it out. Mm-hmm. You a fan of it, Ben? Definitely. I remember watching it. Uh, like It was one of those movies that they always used to put on. My parents used to send me to, um, I don't know, was it the summer, the school holiday programs? I yeah. don't know if you... You remember these things. So that it was at the Oakley Mechanics Institute. They always used to send us like because they, you know, they were working. Both my parents worked, so they you know couldn't look after us at, on school holidays. So we went to this thing, and you'd always have like there'd always be movie days, and Daryl was on high rotation. <laughs> you know, 
from the moment it came out. Yeah, it's like, such a fun movie. Flight of the Navigator and Never Ending Story and all the movies with this kid. Yeah, um, well, well, Oliver Barrett, um, he made a you know a small handful of movies. He was in the original Frankenweenie, the short film that that Tim Burton had directed. Mm-hmm. Um, with, yeah, with uh, who was in that? That was um, what's her name from The Shining? Um, can't remember. Shelley Duvall. Shelley Duvall, um, and Daniel Stern. But um, yeah, but then he just sort of disappeared. He's one of those kids that didn't grow up to become a Hollywood actor in his you know in his uh, older years. And he, I think he's a, a photographer now. I think there's one lone image of him online that you can see and he looks like a hippie um but <laughs> but you can't find anything about this guy anymore online but um yeah he really would... does look like a hippie doesn't he, he looks like a <laughs> like a, a dirty hippie yeah i'd love to i'd love to track him down and chat with him that'd be fantastic he's but, got um, dreads he does uh-huh. but anyway um let's uh, let's move on with the show adam has a recommendation for you and it may or may not be something that sam mentioned earlier Hey guys, it's Adam here from Adam's Just Seen and Triple M with another Good Movie Monday recommendation. This week we are doing Android films. Now, I think that there's very little argument here that the greatest Android in cinematic history is Bishop from Aliens, but I have gone on about that movie a lot, so I am gonna go adjacent. I'm gonna stay in the same franchise, despite what Ridley Scott says, and talk about another Android in the Alien universe, and that is David, played by Michael Fassbender in the film Prometheus. Now, Prometheus split people like an atom. Um, This is a film that some people think is one of the worst things that's ever happened to cinema. Or you're like me, you think that it is an incredible film, a wondrous film. Um, I just was looking up before what I said on Rotten Tomatoes for my review and I said, very few films can create a genuine sense of wonder and discovery and Prometheus manages it for its entire entire 124 minute running time, almost entirely a sensory experience. And I still agree with that assessment. Now, Alien just lives in a special place in any cinephile's brain. And so when Prometheus was announced, I mean, we all went apeshit. How could you not? This is Ridley Scott returning, you know, to his absolute best film. Uh, Ridley Scott is widely considered, you know, a visual stylist, if not the best visual stylist in cinema. And I think absolutely pound for pound, inarguably Prometheus is his best looking film. I still remember exactly where I was sitting in Melbourne Central when this movie opened and look, it was so loaded with hype. I think that in my lifetime, this Mad Max Fury Road, I honest, Blade Runner 2049, to not to the same degree, I don't think any movie had as much hype and as much hope in it as Prometheus. And also while I'm at it, I think that the f- trailer for Prometheus with the space scream echoing is probably the pound for pound again the best trailer that I have ever seen in my in my cinematic lifetime. It gave me chills. I couldn't believe. So Ridley is taking us back into this universe. What are we going to discover? Now, do I think that this movie of these people answering an alien call and landing on this planet that is hostile fills out all of its, you know, of its promise? No, I do think that there are, you know, there are some issues with this, primarily the fact that it just isn't a closed loop operating as an alien prequel and that's what this film is and i like i was so confused when ridley scott started saying this is not an alien film i'm like why are they wearing the helmets why is all the iconography all the same why has it got these kind of you know like these temples and this imagery that we've seen so 
I almost bought it and then I'm like, no, this is just really good marketing. He's trying to get us there. But the way that this film functions, especially its first couple of acts, when we have this sense of discovery and where they're following these astronauts as they're leading to something, because we have encountered the xenomorph in the sequels to this film, we know what danger that they are in. And the sense of dread in this movie is so incredibly palatable. It honestly made me physically ill. I couldn't even like kind of watch it. Then this is where the movie, from my mind, free and cinephiles, this is where we split, is that what they encounter are these prototypes. They are these not fully formed versions of the Xeno. It is showing a new system in this, you know, this eco-verse, if you will. And people didn't like that. They're like, what is this snake thing? What is this hybrid thing? What are these different things? I really do believe that if Ridley had have maybe kept it stripped back to the facehugger, to the traditional Xenomorph model that, you know, the Geiger gave us, this film would borderline be perfect. Um, I have no, <laughs> I'm standing here today defending Prometheus to you right now. I can't do that with Alien Covenant. I hate that film. I hated that film so much that I don't think I've revisited it. I maybe watched half of it again once, but I've seen Prometheus probably about a dozen times and I love getting stuck into its sense of wonder. I think it's got excellent performances, especially by Michael Fassbender here as David, who was already on everyone's radar, and this just cemented him as an actor to watch. I mean, you can't take your eyes off this dude. But I just think, too, as well, that, you know, Prometheus is... I'm so upset <laughs> that we don't get a third film. I thought, you know, Prometheus, great. Covenant crap, maybe this third one in this trilogy that Scott is saying that he will finish at some stage, but I think that this is going to just be one of those cinematic outings that this is it. We don't get the full journey. And so, but as it stands, I think that Prometheus is something that you should maybe reevaluate. I mean, maybe you saw it and you did hate it. A lot of people didn't like the character decisions. They thought that what they were doing was kind of stupid. I never really subscribed to that. I was just so taken with the production design and the sense of atmosphere. And I think, you know, the more and more I explore film, especially as a critic, the thing that I like and admire the most about the films that I love is their atmosphere. All of my favourite films have got a really, really dense atmosphere. And I think that's something that's very hard for filmmakers to create. And Scott made an incredible atmosphere with Prometheus. So, yeah, so if you're a hater, maybe just go back, see if there's something in there that you like. Um, yeah, and if you haven't seen it, honestly, uh, yeah, plug in. Go, you know, go for the journey with Mr Ridley Scott. Highly recommended for me, Prometheus. Who or um, which uh, android do you reckon was better in the Alien franchise? You've got Ash, uh, played by Ian Holm. You've got Bishop by Lance Henriksen. Call with Winona Ryder and David Michael Fassbender. It isn't uh, Bishop's in it twice, right? Yeah, he's in number two and three. Because he's in Alien 3, yeah. I think Fassbender was really good. He was creepy and, like, intimidating and but I mean you can't not go with the original either yeah, like it's hard that. to yeah <laughs> I mean but it is hard to go past because you know that uh, Michael Fassbender is is uh, concealing a giant <laughs> mechanical <laughs> giant mechanical penis <laughs> uh, yeah, under his uh, onesie in those movies you're like this yeah that's actually what the chest burster is it's him from behind yeah, that's right it's <laughs> Anyway, um, if you enjoy Adam's take on things, um, then that um, that guy has uh, a Facebook page called Adam's Just Seen. So track him down there and check it out. And boy, does that guy like to articulate. He's, he's pretty good at that. 
I'm just just sorry. I don't mean to, to keep going on about it, but I just I love the fact that Fassbender is like the male Pamela Anderson. <laughs> is he? It's just well, because like, you, are you paying? How much attention are you paying to his acting ability? Like, you kind of just I'm just constantly looks like, what's he doing? What's he? How's he strapping it down? You're the only person I know that's focused on his dick. I'm totally obsessed with it. I know. It's just uh He does have a like, fast bender, he's mate. Like, he could beat someone <laughs> to death with it. Uh, it's um, it always reminds me of that scene in uh, Longest Yard where they they, they they talk to the prison guard, the one of the prisoners in the shower, and they're like and they, they look down and he's hung like a donkey and they're like uh, well, you could always you could always beat him beat him with that thing and he's like I want to hurt him. I don't want to kill him. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Well, um, how about a couple of notable mentions? Uh, how could I do an episode without an Albert Pune reference, Ben? So I'm going to go with Nemesis. Nemesis being Albert's answer to Terminator. I think that's a fantastic movie. The original is great. Um, and the three sequels. Yeah, but that original with uh, Oliver um, Olivia Gruner. Gruner. Olivia Gruner is incredible. Uh, X Machina was a good one. I did like that. Mm. Um, yeah, I forgot about Omega, Omega Doom. Well, yeah, I was only going to stick to one yeah. Albert Pune film, but you can go for it. He's got lots of robots in his movies. He's got lots of robots in his movies. Universal <laughs> Soldiers is all, is all robots. It's not Albert Pune, but you know. No, that's great. Well, yeah. Heat Seeker. Do you remember I talked about that one about the uh, the robots that fight? Yeah. Great stuff. Well, I'm surprised you haven't mentioned your, your favorite robot movie, Real Steel. <laughs> Well, because they're not androids. We're actually... I'm, I'm sticking with the androids, not the robots. They, have to, they, have to, they need to have AI. Is that the deal? <laughs> hey, there's another one. AI. I think that's an awesome movie. Did talk about mm. it earlier. Nah, Ben just... I remember liking... I liked reading about it afterwards more than I actually liked watching it. <laughs> I, 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 I love got, it. I got, I got a bit bored. I know, you, I know you're not a fan of it, Ben, but I think Turbo Kid's a good one. I know I've tried to watch it a couple of times. I couldn't get into it. I don't like, I, f I feel like I, f I find um, what's the name to be really disturbing in it. Michael Ironside. Cause it's the first movie where I've watched him where I'm like, Oh, he's old now. <laughs> it upsets That's me. Disappointing. Like you're like Starship Troopers. He's fucking awesome. And you're like, I just want like, fuck off Casper Van Dien. I just want it to be Michael Ironside in the whole movie, like leading the, leading the troops. And, uh, you know, when he gets killed, like, it, it, it hurt. <laughs> it hurt inside. Like, I got a little heart sore. And then the next thing I, the next thing I remember seeing him in, I think he was in ER for a while. He was pretty good in that. But then he's, like, he's old and turbo kid. I'm like, no, Michael Einstein doesn't get old. He's a robot that lives forever. And at, least, like, at least that set your expectations for nobody when he uh, played the father-in-law. Yeah. Yeah. He's really fat he's and old in that I mean, one. He is, but he's kind of back to being like he's kind of almost tough guy assholey self. Like, yeah. like he's not. Yeah, you know, there's no eye patch and you know whatever nonsense <laughs> wearing in Turbo Kid. Any any other notable mentions that either of you have? Uh, Didn't prep you for this. No. What did I say before? <laughs> I mean, I do like I do like Terminator. Oh yeah, of course. Terminator is a. That's so obvious, isn't it? Uh, any of those? You know, I like the. What about Looker, the Michael Crichton movie? Oh yeah, with the models and uh, what's that? Uh, the athlete one, um, the Golden Girl with James Coburn, where they're they're um, manipulating all of the the female athletes with electronics. Oh, so that's <laughs> that's not the Betty White story. No, <laughs> no, it's B. Arthur, mate. <laughs> she is the only Golden Girl. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, on that note, we have pretty much reached the end of the show. That's another week in the can. And on to the next one. Now, next week is an exciting one because it's our official Halloween episode. And Ben and I are going to be talking about anthology horror movies. And our special guest will be John Kasser, the voice behind Tales from the Crypt's Crypt Keeper. You definitely don't want to miss that one. Make sure you join us. It's going to be heaps of fun. Huge thanks to our players, Guillermo, Jared, Chloe, Adam, the Boneheads, Joe, Chad, and James. Um, our work is never quite complete without the help of Tia behind the scenes, so thanks to her as well. Sam, we always love having you on the show. We'll see you back in a few weeks. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And uh, Ben, uh, good having you, mate. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to go and watch Star Trek Nemesis now. <laughs> yeah yay the, the show actually had a purpose this time <laughs> it did the trick <laughs> well anyway um of course sam you will also be on our thursday videos every week so uh you're not that far away looking forward to those uh join us on social media facebook uh youtube instagram we have videos watch them um we're going to leave you with a classic uh you could be mine by guns and roses from terminator 2 soundtrack and uh, back when songs in movies actually mattered. So, um, controversial opinion. We'll see you next week, everyone. Have a good one. 